Cass is king. It's Don King's cousin. Cash is king. Cash is king. And having the ability in private equity, and I think even Warren Buffett, the last time I read it, uh, have never had more in cash than they do right now. So again, follow the lead, follow people that have a track record of, of not knowing when the time to market, but just like, hey, this is kind of frothy. I'm going to build up some cash. Build up cash. Find an online website that pays you more than zero point nothing and build up cash. Whether you need it because you lose your job or whether you need it because you see you know, an opportunity to pounce on, if stocks go down, I would bet that if stocks go down as much as they might, that those institutions that I said are 80% not in the market, you're going to see them get into the market. Well, I'm excited to welcome in a fellow GoBundance brother and my man, Fred Hubler, CEO of Creative Capital Wealth Management Group. How are we doing? I'm doing great, Matty A. Thanks for having me. I'm looking Absolutely, forward to this man. for a long time. Well, we have, uh, we've run in many, you know, mastermind circles for many years and, you know, focusing on wealth being one pillar, but obviously you and I know that wealth goes far beyond what dollars, you know, uh, you have Absolutely. in your bank account. But at the same time, you know, it is a great platform to be able to build and amplify your lifestyle, your impact, your freedom. So we're going to dig we into both some... have been rich and we both have been poor. And I, I like the second one better. Yes, agreed. And uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about that journey from, you know, poor to rich and some of the lessons along the way for because we have so many people that, you know, are from all different backgrounds and are at different stages of their wealth building journey. But of course, you know, right, success leaves clues. There's always some breadcrumbs on everybody's trail uh, to success. And I know you've got some great ones. Um, so talk a little bit about where your your journey started before we talk about, you know, Creative Capital Wealth Management Group. Yeah, no, sure. Um, so I grew up, started. grew up in the 80s, uh, grew up watching Family Ties. And, and in high school, I looked just like Michael J. Fox. So I don't know what it was, but at some point I decided I was going to be an executive. And there's a photo in my office at the, at the, at the office. It's a picture of me. And my brother tells me that that little black thing next to me with a briefcase I would carry around. So in my head, I was going to be Mr. Executive, um, went to school, went, you know, got my MBA, uh, worked at a Fortune 500 company. And my, my first project was, uh, Y2K. So I'm kind of dating myself, but Y2K for the entire company. And I was 27 years old. And now looking back, I was a fall guy. Like it was not, you know, so it was, it was so much stress. But in my mind, that was me being called to the major league. Um, so long story short, I never have so many work so hard for so little. And the promotion and, and everything that was promised pre all the work never came out. Um, and I realized to actually succeed in, in that business. And I think in a lot of corporations, there's a heck of a lot of backstabbing. There's a heck of a lot of people taking credit for other people's work. Um, and I didn't have the stomach for that. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't be that guy. And I thought if you did a really good job, you'd be promoted. If you did a really good job, you know, people would see that and want you to have more responsibility. And that is some of it. And maybe with, you know, all the changes in, in the, our environment now, some of the stuff that I went through isn't going through, but it was, it was so much that I decided that I was going to do my own thing. And as my friends always changed my oil, because I'm not very handy, I would do their taxes or I would, you know, go into E-Trade and buy, buy stocks for them. So I always loved money. Um, and I loved the theory I had is the rich new things the rest of us didn't. Mm. And the last 20 years, I can confirm not only is that true, but part of it is a government program called accreditation that I'd love to talk to your, you know, talk to your listeners about because they need to know what's out there. Um, 
So spent two years after the, the corporate job um, at a wirehouse and, and, you know, getting my feet wet. But again, that wasn't the right fit for me because it was a want to buy bond, want to buy bond, want to buy stock. And it was transactional. And I'd make a commission whether or not you made money. And I felt guilty. Like, you know, that's not why I'm, I'm here to be hired. So after two years, I decided to go on my own. And I went from having the computer spit out at the, at the wirehouse who had cash and what to sell them to no computer and no, you know, no, no. So when you could do anything, it's a little overwhelming when you can do anything. So as a smart and lazy person, I, uh, and you know, this with all your other, um, guests, there's a thing of modeling. You said, you know, success leads clues. So if you want to model how to flip houses, you want to model, there's, there's, People out there that either you can see what they do, read their book, take their course, whatever. Well, in investments, um, when you model what a good portfolio should be, Harvard and Yale keep coming up. And when you look at big in- institutional portfolios that can do anything, 70, 80, and sometimes 90% of the money isn't in the stock market. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm, that's not, that's not what I was told. That's not what it means. And so I looked at it. And today there's about 3,400 tickers in all of the market. And if you figure out the ones that people actually buy in their mutual funds, Facebook, Tesla, ExxonMobil, all those, maybe there's 800, 800 to 1200. And, and so that, that was an aha moment for me saying, Hey, if you can put your money anywhere, the smart people who can put their money anywhere aren't going into the market. Well, where are they going? And so, so 20 years ago to be competitive, my zip code, when my first office, uh, we just moved this year, but for 19 years, my zip code was the same zip code as Vanguard. And I was never going to be bigger. I'm never trying to be cheaper. I want it to be different because as you know, every financial advisor looks the same and that's fine. Yep. I don't want to be a financial. I want to be a strategist. I want to, I want to do what really works. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions and of course larger deals and paydays all around we call this deep sales and linkedin has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of linkedin sales navigator right now our millionaire mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try linkedin sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast that's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial let linkedin sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started so fast forward to today i probably couldn't start my business today from scratch like i did then um, cause a lot of these large institutions that give access to people like me, not just me, sidecars to their deal. Um, they have a limited amount of, of equity available. So they're not bringing on new Freds of the world. So I have relationships that are, you know, 20 years old with brand name institutions that will take some of my investors money 
and do what they're doing anyway. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting mark. Uh, and some of those events that you and I go to, every now and then I'll have a financial advisor say, can I buy you a beer? And I know where it's going. So I, I you know, I'll, who says no to free beer? Well, take the beer. <laughs> and, and they always say, you know, some version of if my clients knew what you did, they wouldn't be my client. Can you help me? Mm. And I believe in abundance. I believe it's not all for me to take. And I'm not probably the only one doing what we're doing. We're probably doing, the only one doing it, how we're doing it, and obviously what we're calling it. Um, and, and I give them my contact. And all I ask is full circle that, like, get back to me and let me know what they say. And every time they say, Hey, I called your contact and they're not letting any more people in their sales, you know, program. Um, and everything we do is FINRA and SEC regulated. So these aren't, you know, out of guys, um, you know, uh, guys trunks or whatever. So my, my path took me to trusting no one. So obviously I grew up with the X files. And when, when I was at the, uh, after I left the Fortune 500 company, my first day was 9-11. And so my dad goes like, are you going to go back to your old company? I'm like, no, it can never get worse than this, which hold my beer. It's got work. 2008 happened. Um, next year is going to happen. Like, there's some things that we're going to have to worry about. Um, but when, when 9-11 happened, I was still wearing my MBA hat from the Fortune 500 company. I was still absorbing how to be an advisor. And so whoever I called, the answer was their product. And the buildings were, were still, you know, still smoldering. Like it was still brand new. And so you call the, you know, the mutual fund person and they're like, it's the best time to ever buy this mutual fund. And the annuity people is like, it's the best time to buy an annuity. And of course the bond guy's like, you should always buy, you know, now's the best time to buy bonds. And I'm, and I, I, you know, going back to the, I trust nobody. I realized they're just all in sales and I don't doubt them. I don't blame them. I don't, you know, I'm not, there's no anger there, but like, that's not the right answer. That's just the answer that's right for you. Mm-hmm. So when I started my own company, I, I took a blank sheet of paper and I did modeling and I said, okay, how are the big dogs in that thing? And, you know, that's been, that's been our, our, you know, that's been our secret sauce. And then four years ago, one of my only vices is a cigar. I don't know if you smoke cigars, but if you do, I like, I got, I got a, a good um, bourbon soaked cigar for you right now. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm out having a cigar and I thought to myself, what if I never left the Fortune 500 company? I wouldn't have any money to give an advisor to get the advice because 99% of the industry is give me your money. I'll charge you 1% and then I'll tell you, I'll give you advice. And you know, as well as I do, the smartest guys in the room really don't have the money in the market. They're in real estate. They're in businesses. They're in, they're in sidecars with other real estate guys and they're doing yep. the syndication. The next, a great answer, but they still have seven figures of questions. They just don't have an advisor. And the, the, the elephant in the room is let me put your money in stocks and bonds that are probably going to go down, but that's the way you have to pay me to get my advice. So I thought of, well, what about retainer-based planning? And I went to retainerbasedplanning.com. Nobody owned it. So I bought the damn thing. I'm like, I didn't know that. I thought at least a lawyer would have owned it. And, and one of the things I read um, early on is if you want abnormal results, you have to take abnormal actions. Mm-hmm. And so thinking out of the box, thinking, pretending like I never left the fortune, you know, who, who would I go to for advice? I would need life insurance. I have rentals. I would want someone to, you know, look at my debt structure and make sure I'm, I'm not, you know, just because I'm going to be super, in that example, I'd be super Mr. Executive and I would need someone else. And I almost, I mean, basically, and you know this, I wanted to have a family office without having to give them 10 million bucks to give me my family office advice. So trademarks, retainer-based planning, you can't trademark that like you can't trademark vanilla ice cream. So we call it milestone clarification process. 
And we have one for business owners, one for entrepreneurs, which are serial business owners, um, one for professionals. Every doctor doesn't want to crack, every heart doctor we have doesn't want to crack open a chest and do heart surgery anymore, but that's all they know how to do. Mm-hmm. So, so we have a lot of professionals that want to have that passive income and they love real estate, but they don't have any time to be a landlord. And then the fourth profile we focus on is high net worth retirees. Cause why not that, you know, we can help them. Um, so four years ago, we did the retainer idea. We own retainer based planning and that's springboarded us. We're now in 28 states. And wow. the reason for that is you're not giving me money. You're, you're, we're charging a quarterly, you know, an annual retainer, but it's paid quarterly. So we're just looking at your stuff and your stuff staying where it's at. So now, you know, the vanguards of the world, that's not a bad idea. Let's stay there. And then, and then all of these people obviously are accredited, meaning a million dollars, not counting their house. Um, and very few have any accredited investments. Um, just the other day, a, a guy came in $17 million mutual fund portfolio at one of the big names and we do research and, you know, we do the analysis, we do the pro and I'm like, Hey, great, great portfolio. Uh, you're not in anything different than my twin, my, my 11 year old twins and his, you know, feathers got ruffled. He said, what do you mean? Like you, when you looked at where your money and you had four different advisors, you know, 64 different funds. But when you look at what they're actually in, it mimicked the S and P 500 exactly. You know, the percent that was telecommunications, the percent that technology, like you could just put $17 million in an SPY, you know, mutual fund and you'd be at the exact same. Ex- well, isn't it stupid to have $17 million in one thing? Like, or you can have $17 million in a whole bunch of things that mimic that one thing and be paying for other advisors. They're both equally stupid, but in different ways. Yeah. And it's like, well, what do you mean, you know, your kids are in the same thing? Like they have the S&P 500. They don't have $17 million. And if they did, I wouldn't tell them they had $17 million. And, and so that opens up the, the, the conversation about alternatives and how to mimic where the Harvard and Yale and the institutions that can go anywhere where they have 80% of their money. Not stocks and bonds. So that's a long answer of how I got here. Um, trust nobody. You know, you want atypical returns or atypical, you know, you've got to do something different. You know, you have to be outside of the box if you want outside of the box. And so my hardest part of my job is a lot of the things we have are, um, even though they're FINRA and SEC regulated, no one's ever heard of them before. So of course your Bernie Madoff radar goes off as it should. And then, you know, they're writing the checks, not to me, but the sponsors that they can, you know, do research on. And they're usually almost always names they've heard of before, but just didn't hear of it for, you know, regular people. Then the second part of my barbell of, of, you know, problems we know is you never heard of it before. So it must not be real, real or, um, markets down and you're not, it must not be true. You know, like, why, why am I not down? Like, well, you're not doing the same thing. Um, and that's the hardest part of my job is explaining to people the benefit of it is a lot of our clients have teams. They have CPAs, they have lawyers and the most critical team member because they've never seen it. And, you know, they're 40 years in the business and, you know, I don't know who you are and why you're doing this, but, you know, I don't get it. You explain it to them. They end up being our biggest ambassadors. Like, well, can you do that for me? Can I get, you know, and so that starts to really, yep. you know, snowball. And next year we're running real commercials. Um, and, and the, the, and I'm trying to make fun of the industry without the industry coming after me because I don't want to have a target on my back. So the idea is a family, a husband and wife sitting aside from their financial advisor. And he's like, as you can see, you're properly diversified. And the husband's like, but it's all down. Yeah, but it's down in different amounts. So you're properly diversified. And the wife's like, it's all red, but it's red in different hues of red. And so those conversations, I swear to God, are really happening today. Like those things are happening. And, and the, I don't blame the advisors because they only have what's in their tool set. 
and their tool set isn't mine. So I, I like to say, you know, a lot of advisors sell, you know, grocery store Pathmark, which I know is bankrupt, but that's that's part of the point. Um, or Trader Joe's. Like you can get truffle powder at Trader. You can't, you know, and so it, it's a different, it's a different menu. And and so that's that's the long answer to a short question. So you dropped some little nuggets in there that I want to make sure maybe we peel the layers back on the onion because I think there's some insights that you have and some perspectives that are completely different that really have served. I mean, you and I have seen it in our circles and, you know, kind of these alternative approaches, right? Um, right. You mentioned what does a good, what does a model of a good investment portfolio look like? And I know it's different for everyone based on their goals and their risk appetite, but maybe going back to that guy who had $17 million, you know, in mutual funds, how would you retool, you know, something like that for maybe more of a balanced um, sure. you know, approach to building wealth? So institutions like foundations, they don't die and they don't pay taxes. So if any of our listeners can know, figured out how to do one of those, we'll go work for them and we'll take over the world. So they are not, um, they are not restricted to how much they can have an alternative. But for those that breathe, like you and I, we're kind of limited to 25 to 30% going into, and this is, you know, a broad brush. So, so if you have a million dollars, you're thinking about, we're thinking about 250,000 of that million goes into illiquid, sticky alternative investments that are either be real estate based or a turnaround type base where they're, they're buying mobile home parks and they're adding pads to them. And then they're going to sell them to, you know, a big fish down the road or their energy base where you're getting a very big, real big tax break. And then you're getting distributions, um, but you're never getting your money back. You're now a partner in that oil or gas thing. So, so that's going to be about 25%. And then the 70%, 75% that's left. Um, and this is something that if I was on a Jeopardy question, I would have gotten this question wrong. And I love learning new stuff. You think 30, 20 years in the business, doing things that people come to you and ask for advice that you know it all. I don't know it all. Like, like I'm always looking at, and the benefit of having a seat at the table of these high, very high net worth families is they share with us, hey, I need your advice. So I need you to see where I'm at. And I'll be like, oh my God, what is that? Like, I, I wanna, I wanna learn. Yeah. So it's a self perpetuating flywheel. So the question I would have gotten wrong is if it was on Jeopardy, can a public company sell private securities? And I would have said no. Private companies like M&M Mars and, and all those, those big companies that are private, they can't sell public stuff. Um, and public companies like IBM and Tesla can't sell private. Well, the short answer is we, we found a REIT that's a public REIT that offers private preferred stock. Mm. So I'm not going to tell you what the company is, but basically preferred is the highest in the capital structure. It's the safest of the equity side, but it's a five-year you know, commitment. And it's almost, and, and the analogy is it's like a CD. It's five years where the stock's not moving because it's not in the market, mm-hmm. but you're getting 6%. So it's not life-changing world, as I know, and all of our clients are rich before they come here. So we're not trying to, you know, take a flyer out or, you know, if you try to hit a home run, you usually strike out. We just want to make sure we're hitting singles and doubles and we don't strike out because you're playing defense. A lot of these people have run up, ran up the score of life, and now we just have to be smart with it. So you can do it that 75% that's not alternative and, and illiquid. You can do things that um, are still stocks and bonds, but a different way of doing it. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, so for that gentleman, number one, huge amount of overlap. And, and the S&P 500, as an example, 500 stocks, 
Well, not all of them, you know, not all of them go the same direction. So we actually, if, if we're going to have equities, we, my MBA paper was based on best of breed. You know, Frank Sinatra didn't move the, didn't move the piano. He did his job and then he, he left the state. And I'm not Frank Sinatra, but you know, good analogy to have. Um, <laughs> so everything that, that is everything in our office has that best of breed thought. So we went out and fought, found a boutique firm that manages stocks for clients, our clients included, um, that does it at the stock level. So you don't have the S&P 500. You have maybe 15 or 20 of their highest conviction stocks because they research the company in it. And so the, I love football. And just like most players are either paying, getting, playing over their contract or playing under their contract, most companies are either, you know, playing over their real value or under the real value. Yeah. So finding that out and finding out the companies that do the dividends. So for that gentleman, we rebalanced and, and kept the equity part, but smarter. Mm-hmm. Instead of having the whole index, let's, let's put some thought behind it and only have companies that, um, we truly believe can be defensive. And then you can, when you own the underlying company, you can have collars. You can have like, you know, options and stuff to protect it. So that if the market's down 20, we got out when it was down five. We just automatically got out. Yep. Um, so there's smarter ways to do the equity side. Um, and then bonds from a bond fund standpoint, if anyone has a bond fund, um, truly look at whether or not you can safely get out of it or go in the shorter terms, because what, what's going to be happening and, and anyone even twice our age hasn't lived this. Bonds have had a bull market for 35 years, maybe, you know, interest rates have been going down. And the bond funds have none of the protection of bonds as if you bought an individual bond. And um, the thing that scares me is if bonds go down a little bit and people get spooked because they've never lost money and they call to get their money out, the fund will go down even more. Mm-hmm. And, and so we expect large swings in the stock market. I don't think anyone's going to expect the large swings that are happening already in the bond market. Um, and as more people try to get out of the door, the bond companies of the, you know, the companies of the world have to sell even things they don't want to sell because they have to, you know, you call Fidelity or Vanguard and ask for your money back. They're like, all right, where do you want to send the check? So they, there's no gate there. Um, and it's your money. So if you want it back, you can get it back. So I'm, I'm concerned with bond funds. So we're moving everyone to, to individual bonds or bond ladders or something that has that principal protection mm-hmm. in there. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast 
And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. I love it. You talked a little bit earlier about um, you wanted to know what rich people knew that poor people didn't. Over the course of your career, what are some of those things that no matter where you're at in your wealth building journey, some of those lessons that the rich have mastered that, you know, so many people feel like is a is a secret club that, you know, they have access to a certain ledger of information and strategies and wealth building principles that, you know, anybody could adopt in their their wealth building journey or mindset along the way. Yep. So cash flowing assets is a big one. Um, other than that $17 million example I gave you, most very large um, families have very little in stocks and bonds. And so it, it's a diversifier from their other stuff. Um, but their, the risk they take is more the risk of their time. Like where are they spending their energy? Mm. And what is their highest leverage? And like everyone has leverage. If you're 70, 80 years old, your leverage is you can buy an immediate annuity that pays a lot more than what would pay you and I because we're not 70, 80 years old. Um, so, so everyone should look for the unique ability and it could be something that someone else will pay for. You know, it could be, I'm not saying you have to go and be an entrepreneur. It could be, you could, you know, you could, I, I found someone, I met somebody who is the person or one of the people, and she's a consultant now that if a drug doesn't work, but it does these other side effects, her, her ability is to say, okay, let's market that then. You know, I forget what it was supposed to do, but the bill, the, the little blue pill that does what it does for guys wasn't supposed to do that. It was supposed to do something else. I forget what it was. Interesting. Like, oh, well, here's the side effect. Well, why don't we make that side effect a feature? And so I think people in general may have a side effect. They have something that they, they really didn't expect that they're really good at. Well, make that your feature instead of trying to say, all right, I hate budgets. I'm going to really learn how to do budgets. Well, maybe you shouldn't be in, you know, you know go where you have an A skill and lead into that. Um, and so all of the, the common theme in all these higher net worth families is they figured out usually by, you know, um, doing it wrong the first time, they figured out what they can really do well. And then they just, you know, ran that play until someone stopped them um, or still running the play. So whether it's real estate, whether it's, you know, buying companies and turning them around or whether we have clients that love being in the corporate world. And they love navigating that part that I, I got cold feet on because I didn't want to be that person. And I asked them, you know, they, they agreed it is harder to do it without screwing people over, but it's, mm. it's, that's the challenge they like. And so they, they don't want to screw. They don't, you know, they lay people off, but I'm talking about taking credit for something that wasn't yours to take credit. I'm like, just the real dirty politics part of it. Yeah. Um, and as a 27 year old, you know, thinking that ladder was what I wanted to do. That was where it shocked me. Like, it's almost like, you know, meeting your, meeting your idol and finding out they're a horrible person or that fraud. Yeah. From an identity standpoint, I'm like, well, I don't want to be an executive. That's what I have to do behind the scenes to get there. Yeah. Um, so knowing your unique ability, knowing um, what, what you stand for and then building systems around that, I think would be a very good first step. Very good. And it's not really just for investing. It's just where do you spend your time? That is the best dollar average, you know, producing thing. And then how do you do more of that? And maybe even do it to a one to many. So 
you know, your podcast isn't one person listening to it. It's, it's hundreds, thousands, millions. That's a one to many. And so the more one to many things you can do, it's, it's a network of just where you're spending your time. Now, looking at all the different alternative investments that historically have been out there and maybe some that have, you know, kind of come out of the woodworks over the course of the last few years, what are some of the ones that you've been paying attention to and that you've seen some great returns from? Yeah. So the oldest and largest allocation going back to the research and those institutions, the Harvard and Yales, their annual reports are public. They're not real time. But when I started my company, I devoured them. I'm like, all right, does anyone know that they're, you know, the, the smartest kids in the book are giving you the answer key, at least the answer key of what they did yesterday. Um, and then you look at sovereign wealth funds. A lot of those things are pod. And, and this is before the, it was harder to get before the internet, but now it's right there on the internet. Um, so the largest and longest held alternative investment is private equity. And so if you remember Richard Gere and Pretty Woman, private equity is, is what he did, you know, buy companies and, and put them together, buy companies and set them apart, you know, and, the value proposition for the stock market, and no one can tell me I'm wrong, is buy, hold, and hope. Just because you and I bought Tesla doesn't mean we're good, you know, it ain't going to move the stock that much. If any, it's not going to move the stock at all. But private equity is more, in my mind, more analogous to real estate. They don't buy the company until they know what they're going to do to turn it around. And they have a value generating, whether it's lowering expenses, whether it's bringing in another product line, whether it's connecting them and putting it in stores that they don't have the access to go to those stores. Now, they won't buy the company unless they know how to turn it around. And the only times I've ever noticed someone have a bad taste in their mouth from private equity is when you ask them, oh, you know, private equity took my dad's company over and they fired. Like, what would your dad do? He was a $300,000 VP. But what did your dad do? Your dad had an $80,000 analyst job, but was getting paid $300,000 because he was there for 15 years. Guess what? Sucks to be your dad, but as a corporation... That ain't the best use of their money. And so to me, private equity are the crabs of capitalism. Mm. You don't want to see what they eat, but you need them. And, and so private equity is a big thing of it. I don't know of any crowdsourced funding private equity website because there is, there's dates and there's minimums and whatever. But we, that's something that if someone is, is uh, an accredited investor and has no private equity, look at that. There's, there's firms out there that do it. We, we, we don't do it. We, we raise the money for the people that do it. Yep. Um, so private equity is a big one. Institutional real estate is another one. So if you and I see a duplex somewhere, um, we're going to overpay because there's 30 other guys that look like you and girls that look like you and I that are going to pay for it. And fast, you know, compare that to, and this is the thing I look for is, is there an ethical, moral, and legal unfair advantage I can take advantage of for my client? And now I look like my client. So it's, I'm buying it for me and then call my, like, Hey, you guys want to do this too? Cause I'm already doing it. So if you look at, um, you know, a very large distribution center being built, by the time it's being built, it's already been pre-sold and leased back. So you and I couldn't even bid on that because we didn't know it was for sale until it was already sold. And then you back into that. Why? Well, the company probably um, negotiated once with a sale lease buyback. And, and it's funny, I won't leave, you know, I don't want to name drop, but it was a very large just company that needs a lot of distribution. So, you know, you can know who that is. Um, and the first one took uh, a negotiation and, and that I found out the trust that they sold it to, the company that they sold it to. The first one was like 24 days and 17 lawyers to go back and forth and back and forth. So if you're the big company and you want to do it again somewhere else, you don't want to start that dance with another company. 
You want to go back to the company that you just negotiated with and say, hey, what we did in Ohio, we would like to do in West Virginia. Here's what we're, you know, based on now we know where your framework is. Here's, here's, can we do it this, you know, here's our numbers. Second one was 24 hours, no lawyer. So it's not like they're shopping it around saying, who's going to pay us the most for this distribution center? They really wanted it. Who's going to help us get this built the fastest so we can focus on our business? And so those unfair advantages, those, those, you know, networks of, of communication, they're out there. They're in everyone's life. There's also, they're out there in, at the institutional world too. So you've talked to so institutional real estate, um, private equity, oil and gas is not going anywhere. Energy is not going yep. anywhere. Um, national uh, energy independence is national security. You can't tell me it's not. And we really shouldn't be taking our, our, you know, our advice from a 14 year old from overseas. Like we really should take care of ourselves here. Yeah, no, makes total sense. Talking about wealth planning for kids. I know you mentioned about your two twins. I know a lot of people are thinking about not just themselves, but generational wealth planning, as well as how do they, you know, build wealth for their kids along the way? What are some of the things that you subscribe to when it comes to building wealth for your children? So the hardest thing for me, and I still struggle with it daily, is I came from nothing and I was scrappy and I was hungry and I was tenacious because I, I, you know, I wanted to be on the other side of the fence. Yep. And now I have kids and I want them to have all the cool stuff I never had. But then that makes them a little soft. So though I haven't figured out the right, the right blend of, you know, yeah, let's go do the Star Wars, you know, immersive trip, which we did because I wanted to do it with, you know, that was a lot of money and most kids don't get to do that. And, you know, you have no idea how lucky we are to be able to do that. So I'm working on that. We do use an app, Greenlight. I'm sure there's other things out there where they get a little bit of an allowance, but they also have some, some, you know, some ability to, um, save up. And I'm trying to help them remember saving up to spend later isn't saving. And so in their minds, like, oh, dad, I have $100 in savings. Like, oh, what are you going to do with that? Well, I'm going to wait and buy my, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, saving means you don't spend it. Well, I'm not spending it. You plan to spend, you know, so we're, we're still struggling with that. I think the, the thing I did, we made a, a family foundation. And then once a year, uh, we sit down as a family and my, my son and my daughter get to pick, you know, each get a half of what we're going to give and they get to pick something. And my daughter did turtles one day. And then my son's like, I want to give it to Mr. Beast, who's a big YouTuber. And, yeah. and I know about him. He's an awesome guy. I'm like, oh, and he has a whole philanthropic, like this guy has it all. And so we had a legitimate philanthropic. And so my son's money went to the Mr. Beast philanthropic thing. And my daughter saved the turtles. <laughs> you know, I didn't care. I just want them to give back. Um, so the heart for the money is starting small. Um, and, and the research behind it and also the, the ability to be aware of things they like. If I would have bought Tesla stock the day years ago that I fell in love with Tesla car, I had a lot more Tesla. Same thing with Apple. I just love everything worked. It took me years after I've loved it to say, wait a minute, I should do on like there's, So there's, yeah, and my kids are doing similar things as well. Like it was so, you know, how do you invest in Fortnite? Like those types of conversations brings it down to their level and they get it because not every, most people don't think for themselves. Yeah. And some people like me didn't think enough. Like I'm like, crap, I really should have used my own, you know, what I'm doing for other clients. I should have been like, all right. No, maybe Apple and Tesla and, and my, my wife was in the Peloton. Not that it's a good investment now, but back in it really and walked right through it. Like I didn't even, I was just so busy doing my other stuff. Um, so that to me has got the best traction for kids is you bring it down to their level 
and let them know they can be a part owner of something that they're already, you know, that they use or that they like. And if my kids like it, probably other kids like it. So it's, it's very, you know, it, it, it kind of works that way. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but at least it starts the conversation. Yeah, I love that. Now, in terms of some opinions on outlooks, you mentioned 2008, right? You also mentioned this next coming year with everything that's gone on with, you know, printing as much money as the globe has, let alone the United States, you know, and that money all chasing the same amount of goods and inflation going crazy. You know, a lot of the data that's been coming out is, well, I guess there's different perspectives depending on what data you're looking at. And you can always kind of manipulate the data to, you know, support your narrative. What are your thoughts on, you know, where we're heading next year? How bad is it going to get? And what opportunities do you see in that season? So I hope I'm wrong, but I think it's going to get very bad because there's never been an everything bubble everywhere. And there's never been the disconnect between reality and narrative as there is right now. We've been told there's no inflation, but I had two combo meals and a hamburger and spent $28. That's inflation. And we've been told there's no recession because they changed the definition. So most people, going back to that comment, and a lot of people don't think for themselves, and I think all of your listeners probably do, and that's why they're on broadcasts and absorbing as much information as possible. But that's that's not the norm. Like most people, they they believe so. So when the narrative is trumped by reality, reality will always win. By the way, Um, so we have, you know, an everything bubble everywhere which we never had before. We have, I consider it blood in the streets that just hasn't gotten to you, and I've been using that, um, you know, talking point. For nine months. So I haven't been early. I, I haven't been, I've been early, but I'm not, I haven't been wrong. And one of our clients called me and said, Hey, how did you know about that? I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, I just had a meeting. He owns a, um, property and casualty brokerage company. So he, all the insurance companies, you know, he doesn't just do one, he does them all. He's like, next year, 2023, the average increase in property and casualty will be about 35%. And, and so we're told nothing, there's no inflation. But you're spending twenty eight dollars for happy, you know, well not happy, but combo meals, and your your you know your car insurance is going up yep. beyond what you thought it could do. And insurance companies have two jobs: rule number one, don't lose money; rule number two, is follow rule number one. So we all know we've been paying too little for the repair of the house because it's so expensive and, and all that stuff. So that's all going to happen fairly quickly. And then you have the interest rates going up, and and so there's, the, the, I don't think there's going to be a soft landing. I hope I'm wrong. So to answer your question, if that's if we're going to be in an inflationary world, it's not going to be identical to the '70s, but it's not. It, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. High inflation, high, um, you know, unemployment and and consumer behavior has to change for inflation to be in check. And there are still people that are okay paying twenty eight dollars for a happy meal. And I am too. I had to eat. Um, so until consumer behavior, and I think consumer behavior is going to change next year, and that's the canary Great. in the coal mine that to look out for. So when you start getting your property and casualty insurance is going up and you need it because you have to have it because you can't drive at least intensely without it. Um, you know, and everywhere you go, things are uglier than you were told to, told they were going to be. You're going to like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't go to that trip. Maybe I shouldn't buy that next, you know, new phone. That's going to, that's already started to happen. And you're seeing companies lay off. And, and, you know, the only places that are hiring are just trying to hire and backfill everyone they laid off during COVID. But most of those are not high paying jobs. Some people are waiters and waitresses, multiple restaurants, and that's still not enough. I don't know where all those people are because every time we go to a restaurant, you know, 
They're like, hey, please help us. You know, we don't have enough people. So I don't know where those people are. So I believe consumer behavior is going to already have started to change. Yep. And that will change everything. The other thing that concerns me, if you think about 2008, the rating agencies kind of dropped the ball there. You would go to them and say, hey, here's my mortgage obligation fund. Is it triple, you know, make it triple A. And they don't advertise this. And obviously I'm not, don't want to get sued, but they would, you know, obviously it wasn't triple A because the next day you went bankrupt. Then yeah. like, like those yeah. things happened in 2008. So let's say they don't drop the ball this time and they're looking at very good companies that are triple B, which is investment grade. And they look at it. Hey, they can't sell their widget because they can't make it fast enough or they can't make it at all because of chips or whatever the valid reason is. Let's say the agencies say this isn't triple B anymore. It's double B. That scares me because the pensions, who are the only ones buying these triple B bonds, you have to be investment grade to be in a pension. If you're double B, you're no longer investment grade. So now the biggest buyers become the biggest sellers. If you can do the math, it's not going to be pretty. And then all the, so it, it, it's going, and again, these are dominoes that are, I think, teetering. And I hope, I hope they don't fall. I don't want, I don't want this. So the short answer is there's a lot of, a lot of things that can go wrong way more than went wrong in 2008. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't expect it because they were told everything's fine. And I don't, I don't agree that everything's fine, but I also, it's not, doesn't surprise me that people are able to say everything's fine because, you know, we're in an echo chamber. And so you have to look for an opposing point of view and you have to go out of your way because, yeah. you know, the social media world that we're in is just going to be an echo chamber of what you, you already think. And so 90% of the people think things are fine and they're seeing all their articles that, oh, the layoffs aren't fine or there's no recession. They're going to be, financially startled and probably made some really bad mistakes because of that. Um, so what does work? Hard assets, real estate, there's real estate funds that you don't have to use me. You can go crowdsource. You don't have to be accredited in a lot of times. You just get there. But you have to look at the underlying real estate. The best property doesn't matter if no one's paying the bill. So if it is um, you know, multifamily, you don't want B or C. You want the nicest multifamily because then they have more demand there or you want the kind of multifamily in the areas where there's still not enough multifamily. And I'm using that as an example, not as a recommendation. So hard cash flowing assets, side gigs, you know, if there's value out there. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying don't, don't be an Uber driver, but there's side gigs you can do where you can see, you, know, you can, you can sell stuff on Amazon. There's a whole, you know, there's probably podcasts on that, but anything that's a cash flowing value add thing. So again, looking at the, the, you know, your unique ability. How do you monetize it? My, one of mine is to explain complicated things simply. So when you talk about alternatives and, you know, I, I, you know, I can explain that to people. And I used to, if you Google best NFL financial advisor, I'm still the first, one of the first organic answers. Um, I never paid for it. I was registered with the NFL players association for 10 years. I like to say I'm like the, the rock, but I'm half the size and I have more hair. Um, but. If I can explain it to football players, you know, and they're in the equivalent of a car accident every weekend, I can explain to anybody. Um, so, so putting and cash isn't a bad deal anymore. Cash isn't even a bad answer anymore. Just so you have dry capital to take advantage of opportunities. Um, cause the bubble, you know, if bubbles are bursting, that means there's going to be people that bought a house they shouldn't afford. Yep. Um, we sold our vacation home and I told my wife right now, someone's overpaying for our future mountain lake house. Yep. And I honestly believe that. And, and so I read my own stuff. I did an opportunity zone and I paid cash. So cash is king. It's Don King's cousin. Cash is king. Um, cash is king. And, and having the ability and, and private equity. And I think even Warren Buffett, the last time I read it, uh, have never had more in cash than they do right now. 
So again, follow, follow the lead, follow people that have a track record of, I'm not knowing when to time the market, but just like, Hey, this is kind of frothy. I'm going to build up some cash, build up cash, find an online website to page you more than zero point nothing and build up cash. Whether, whether you need it because you lose your job or whether you need it because you see, you know, an opportunity to pounce on, uh, if stocks go down, maybe that's when you, and I, I, I would, I would bet that if stocks go down as much as they might, that those institutions that I said are 80% not in the market, you're going to see them get into the market. They're not going to, you know, if, if, if good companies go on sale, they're not stupid. They're not, not in the market because they don't like it. They're just not in the market because they have other options that are a better risk return right now. But when the risk return changes and now things are on sale in the market, guarantee you it won't be as heavy out of the market as it is now. So um, if I'm wrong, you have money in cash to take advantage of other things. But I, I, there's so many things that could go wrong. Even one of them could be enough of a buying opportunity for, for people. Brad, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, brother. I know there's going to be a lot of people that have more questions. We didn't even, we just, we just scratched the surface, man. So I think we're going to have to have you back yeah. on. If you want me back, uh, I'll be back. Yeah. Have you back on. And, um, you know, for those that do want to reach out to you, they want to connect with you. Where's the best place for them to do that? So our website, CCWMG, like cat, cat, William, Mary, Greg. Um, you can schedule with my team. Um, my team knows my story. I've been training them and, um, you know, so. That's the best, you get some information that we have. And this is for, for people we don't like. So your listeners, we already like because they're your listeners. We do uh, SOS, second opinion service. It's a no obligation, you know, meet you where you are, what's going on, what are your questions and just helping people out. Because sometimes they're doing fine. They don't need us. They need someone to tell them they're doing fine and not just find a way to, you know, buy a product from somebody. We're 20 years old. I don't need any clients that we can't help. So we're not hungry to force people to work with us. But we're there to serve and there to help. And I have a whole team of people that that think like I do, and they're all salaries. So they're not looking for for stuff. Um, so I would say CCWMG, and there's a you know start a conversation button there, uh, and that would start you know free virtual uh, SOS meeting with anybody on my team. And sometimes in my calendar, you'll get me too. So you know it's not like I'm not doing it. Just more likely my team has more openings than I do. Um, but if if someone really wants to talk to me, happy you know, they can call the office and. Um, you know, you'll, you'll get me. I'm not hiding from anybody. I'll be there. So we'll uh, be sure to put all those links in the show notes, millionermycast.com on Fred's episode. Fred, it's a pleasure having you on, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to the richlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.